Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we are going to look at the second Sunday in Lent. The second Sunday in Lent. Now, remember, when I say the second Sunday in Lent, or the third Sunday in Lent, or the fourth Sunday of Advent, or the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, we're talking about that Sunday and that week. So the whole week, which is what the Daily Lectionary is all about, scriptures from Sunday to Saturday, Saturday, as you see in your post. You see the scriptures listed there for you so you'll know what to read on a daily basis. There are five Sundays in Lent, followed by Holy Week, which culminates with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are in the second Sunday in Lent, the second week of Lent. Remember, we started Ash Wednesday during the last Sunday after the Epiphany. In the middle of that week, Wednesday, we started our Lenten program, uh, beginning with services on Ash Wednesday. And I hope you had a wonderful Ash Wednesday, and I hope that your Lent is going well as we approach the second week. Now, in our daily lectionary readings, you'll see in your post, you'll see scriptures from Jeremiah, Romans, and John. We pick up Romans this week, and we pick up Jeremiah this week. We have been in John for a couple of weeks. And we're actually going to be in Jeremiah and in Romans and in John during these five Sundays in Lent, five weeks in Lent. So these are outstandingly good scriptures. You can hardly beat the prophet Jeremiah, Paul's letter to the Romans, many consider that his greatest work, and of course the Gospel of John, which I have said many times is my favorite book of the Bible. And so uh, there should be great learning for all of us. Let's begin with Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, the first chapter, is quite extraordinary. In the beginning verses, he tells you uh, when this happened. The, fi- the 30th year of the reign of Josiah, we are in the southern kingdom, not in the northern kingdom. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. They went into exile finally in 587 B.C. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 4, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before God Almighty created the prophet Jeremiah, he knew who he was. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is a dramatic example of God's predestination, God's calling and knowing before Jeremiah is even created. And as he was in his mother's womb for nine months, he'd already decided what he was going to do with him. He set him apart and he appointed him. He actually gave him his vocation, a prophet to the nations. But he said, I don't know how to speak, verse 6. Do not say I'm only a child, verse 7. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. I am going to use you, Jeremiah, as a prophet, which means when you open your mouth, I am going to direct you to speak, and you are going to tell the people what I want them to know. Now remember, folks, they didn't have telegraphs. They didn't have phones. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have ways to communicate. They had to communicate through individuals. And the best case scenario for the people of Israel is that they communicated through the word of the Lord given to a man 
who had a prophetic voice. And that person would share that word with the community. Were there false prophets? Yes, there were false prophets. So you had to be able to distinguish between true and false. Of course, Jeremiah was not a false prophet. He said in verse uh, 9, I put my words in your mouth. Then we go to the next day on Monday, verse 16, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me. Now, when we forsake the Lord, there are consequences. They burn incense to other gods. They worship what their hands have made. You made an idol. You're now worshiping an idol. My judgment comes upon you. You have forsaken me. Verse 17, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. They're not going to like this message. This is a message that is a hard message to deliver, Jeremiah, because the people have forsaken me. They have gone their own way, and I'm going to pronounce judgment on them. And the way I'm going to pronounce judgment is through you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. It's pretty strong, isn't it? And so in chapter 2, we see in verse 5, they follow worthless idols. They become worthless themselves. Verse 8, the priests did not ask, where is the Lord? They weren't inquiring about the Lord. Those who deal with the law do not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal. The prophets were supposed to listen to the Lord and repeat the words of the Lord, as I said to you earlier, but they did not. They followed worthless idols. And so what you're going to find in Jeremiah is this extraordinary exchange between God Almighty speaking to Jer through Jeremiah, the people receiving that message, and God is sharing why he is doing what he's doing and for what reasons he's doing it and what the consequences are, both positive and negative. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They've gone their own way. And when they made the cisterns, they can't hold the water. So there's no way it's going to work. No way. It's not going to work. So he says in chapter 3, 6 through 18 is our Wednesday scripture. Chapter 3, 6 through 18, verse 13. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. Sometimes in life, we just need to say, this is what we did. This is what we did. You've scattered your favors to foreign gods unto every spreading tree, and you have not obeyed me. So if there's anyone out there that has not been obeying the Lord, has not done what the Lord says, just come clean. I messed up. I'm not obeying you. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Repent. Say you're sorry. Confess your sins against God. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, verse 14. I am your husband. I am your husband. I will, I have, I will choose one of you from every town and two from every clan and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. People need to be led, but the people that lead have to know the Lord. The way they lead is by knowledge and understanding of the Lord, so that people will do the right thing. Enjoy these incredible verses. Chapter 4, 9 and 10, and 19 to 28. 
19 to 28. Verse 22, this is pretty strong. 422, my people are fools. My people are fools. They do not know me. And so what God wants from each one of us, he wants us to know him. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They do not know how to do good. And so these opening chapters of Jeremiah are pretty rough because they talk about the fact that the people have moved against the Lord and that is not a wise thing to do. Chapter 5, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? Verse 3, verse 4, they do not know the way of the Lord. They do not know the command requirements of their God. They do not know his requirements. Do you know the requirements? Do you know the commandments? Do you know what God asks of you? Jeremiah, even though 6th century, uh, 7th century BC, is a very, very important book because you can personalize it pretty quick. You know, am I obeying the Lord? Am I doing what he says? Do I know the commandments? Am I following the commandments? And finally, chapter 5, 20 to 31. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, verse 21, who have eyes but do not see. Your eyes are working, but you don't see what the Lord is doing. You have ears, but do not hear. Your ears are working, but you don't hear the word of the Lord. Should you not fear me? Should you not tremble in my presence? Shouldn't you be concerned? Why are you not concerned? Why are you not troubled? Why why are you not troubled? Then finally he says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The The prophets prophesy lies. That's a bad thing. The priests rule by their own authority. My people love it this way, but what will you do in the end? But what will you do in the end? The breakdown of the community of faith. The breakdown of the people of God. So instead of God not giving them a chance to change, he sends the prophet Jeremiah in a very difficult situation, and he uses Jeremiah before he even creates him. He's going to use him as a mouthpiece to save the people and for them to hear the message of God. So when you read the word of the Lord, it's very powerful, and you want to be very serious about listening to what God is saying to you personally. Well, Romans is just an extraordinary book. And so I'll just point out some things to you. There's so much here. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, verse 1, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart just like Jeremiah. Called like Jeremiah. Called to share the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets. Aha, the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Jeremiah. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, so the Messiah, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now, this is obviously after his resurrection, probably mid-50s. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his namesake, we've received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. We are now going to share this gospel message. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus, the one that's resurrected from the dead. Oh, by the way, he's ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God. We've received his grace, and we are calling people to obedience that comes from faith. So in order to obey, one must have faith. You're not going to obey if there's no faith. So faith in Christ is crucial. So Paul is going to share this message of the gospel with the Romans, with the, with the church at Rome, 
and he's going to implore them to follow Christ and to know Christ and to explain the truths of the Christian faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, 16 to 25. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is the thing that saves us. It is the thing that gives us hope. It is the thing that will put us on the right track for the Jews and the Gentiles. And then later he says in verse 17, the righteous will live by faith. Now, when you look at 16 through 25, you see that the wrath of God, starting in verse 18, there's lots of godlessness. This is a very, very famous passage, uh, 18 through 32. 18 through 32. Very strong series of verses here. Uh, and it talks about sin and the problem of sin and why people do not follow the Lord. He gives them over to the sinful desires of their heart uh, in verse 24 and uh, exchanging the truth of God for a lie in, in 25. Um, and so it is very serious when we sin against the Lord. It is very serious when we sin against the Lord. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind, verse 28, to do what ought not to be done. God gave them over. God gave them over. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, verse 29, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, gossips, slanders, etc., etc. Although they knew God's righteous decrees that those who deserve do these things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, they approve of those who practice them. It's a terrible situation. So we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from our sins. Verse uh, chapter 2. God will give to each person according to what he has done, verse 6. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. So there's two kinds of people in the world. People that, have, that are doing the right thing, people that are not doing the right thing. People that have eternal life, eternal death. People that are following the Lord, people that are not following the Lord. Follow the Lord. For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth, verse 8, and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. That second group. Glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. I hope that's all of my audience, all doing good. For God does not show favoritism. Jew, Gentile, in the verse before. He's no, there's no favoritism. What have you done? What kind of life are you living? What do you believe? Is there repentance in your life? Is there the love of God in your life? Verses 12 to 24 of chapter 2. 12 to 24. Um, he talks about um, Gentiles not having the law in verse 14, who do by nature things required by the law, yet they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So our secrets and our lives will be judged when we stand before Christ, 
when we stand before Christ at the judgment day, Jesus will be the final judge for all of us. Jesus will be the final judge for every single person. Enjoy reading. 225 to 318, he says, What shall we conclude then? Verse 9. Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so he has this great list from 10 through 18 to charge us that all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. And through the law in verse 20, we become conscious of our sin. But now the righteousness from God comes along this text from Romans 9, uh, 3, 19 to 31 is fantastic. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. It comes through faith in Christ through, to all who believe. There's no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is sinners. But in order to be righteous, we need to have faith in Jesus Christ because he imputes his righteousness to us and he receives from us our sin. So he dies in our place for our sin. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Where is the boasting? We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. They got into a big discussion about the law and about faith. The key is to put your faith in Christ, to repent of your sins, to be right standing before God because of your love for Christ and uh, Christ's righteousness, again, is imputed to you. No merit on our own, but what Christ has done for us. So as you open up this extraordinary uh, first three chapters of Romans, read it slowly, carefully. It's not particularly easy all the time, but the argument that Paul is making is a very strong one about the depth of our sin and the power of our sin and what sin has done, Romans 1, Romans 3, and the magnitude of the law that we see in those chapters, and then the power of Christ to save us from our sins. Please enjoy. John chapter 4. As I said, we were in John last week, and so we just continue this extraordinary journey with Jesus. So as I said earlier, between Jeremiah, Romans, and John, there's going to be lots of great learning. In Romans chapter 4, we have the um, situation at the end of the chapter regarding the uh, Samaritan woman that Jesus ministered to. And he says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My will is to do the food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what Jesus was here to do. Jesus was not here to do his own thing, his own way, or to make it up as he went along. He was to do the will of God. He was to do the will of his Father. He was to finish his work. In chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, we have on Tuesday, we have the healing of the official son, this miraculous healing. Now, John doesn't have a whole lot of miracles in his um, Gospels, 
We see lots of miracles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is using the miracles as signs that Jesus is the Messiah. And he does some astounding miracles in John. But he picks and chooses them. We've already seen the wedding at Cana, for example. He heals the official son. It's a long-distance healing. Who could do that? Who could heal somebody long-distance? I mean, that's impossible. So Jesus shows us his tremendous power in miracles. But then the healing of the pool, he heals someone, but he actually has a problem with the person. It's a very, very interesting, um, it's a very, very interesting uh, section there. Uh, but he heals the person, but the person's attitude is not very good. So Jesus chastises him. I think you'll enjoy that. So, verse 16, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. So they weren't very interested in knowing who he was, and they weren't astounded by the miracles. They just wanted him to logistically get it right. And the law says, you can't do this on the Sabbath. Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they had figured out pretty quickly that he was equal with God. It goes on to say in chapter four, uh, 5 that uh, Jesus says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, there's eternal life, and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Verse 27, he has given him authority to, to judge because he's the son of man. So God Almighty gave Jesus the authority to be the judge, and that is the person who we will stand before. You want to be on the side of eternal life. You want to be on the side of receiving Christ. He says, verse 30, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now the judgment that I'm going to have is going to be very, very um, accurate, very, very right. Chapter 5 is wonderful. Finally, we end with chapter 7. Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he says, um, verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it, it does is evil. That's what I told you. Not everybody likes what Jesus says. Not everybody's jumping up and down about what Jesus says. His words are strong, and sometimes they're offensive. But they are true, and he loves you. He loves me. But there are things that are true, and they're all things that are false. Through verse 13, Jesus is, the people are divided about who Jesus is. The Jewish leaders, as we saw in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do not trust him, do not like him. The people are trying to figure out where he's at. So in John, you'll see people referred to as the Jews, where they kind of bring everybody together. And so what are the Jews going to do with Jesus? And the fascinating thing about John is to watch how that progresses through the gospel. I hope you enjoy very much Jeremiah, Romans, and John, as I said at the beginning, that we will journey with them over these five weeks in Lent. God bless you. Next week, we'll look at the third Sunday in Lent.